You can never underestimate the importance of the grace of God. Thank you for reminding us of that. Please take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter. Last week we were in the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter. And the central verse is found in verse 31, where Jesus says, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. After I had presented the message on more than one occasion, someone came to me and said, Pastor, would you please explain more fully what it means to abide in the word of Jesus? And with that in mind, I was prompted to go to this passage of Scripture to give us further clarification and understanding of what it means to abide in the Word of Jesus. I hope you understand, even if you were not here last week, how essential abiding in the Word of Jesus is. The implication is clear. If we do not abide in His Word, we are slaves. We will not be set free. Set free from the bondage of our own selfishness, our own sin. Set free to live the life which God has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light to live. Verse 1 of Matthew 13. On that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and great multitudes gathered to Him. So that He got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And He spoke many things to them in parables. A parable is something which is designed to give great insight from a practical point of view, from something that occurred in everyday life among the people, insight into spiritual things. The word which is translated parable is a word which is a compound word in the original language. The first part of which means alongside of. The second part of the word in the original language, means to throw. To throw something alongside of, and the suggestion is clear, to throw light upon it so that it could be better understood. So Jesus spoke many things to this multitude gathered on the Sea of Galilee, and this is how He began. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as He sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. When the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. If we were to go to Mark's report of this parable, what we would discover is in the fourth chapter and the thirteenth verse, he says, in essence, Jesus says, in essence, if you don't get this parable, you won't get any of the rest. This is the foundational parable of the over thirty parables which Jesus taught. And The reason it's so important is because it has to do with the most important activity you and I can ever engage in. 
It may be surprising. On the surface, it seems like a passive activity. It is listening to Jesus. It's hearing what He has to say. Hence, He concludes the first part of this teaching on the parables by saying, He who has ears, let him hear. This is a warning not only to those to whom He first spoke this parable, but it's a warning to us too. If you've got an ear to hear, listen carefully to what is about to be said. In verse 10, the Bible says, And the disciples came and said to Him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And He answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Whoever has to him shall more be given, and he shall have in an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing but will not understand, and you will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This group of disciples of Jesus occupied the most privileged place in the universe. They were even more privileged than the prophets had been the prophets who actually prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. They spoke of Jesus being here and what we could expect from His coming. But they didn't quite fully understand what these disciples had access to. And may I say it? Would you and I also have access to today? Because those same apostles heard what was said not simply with their physical ears. They saw what was being demonstrated not simply with their physical eyes, but with their spiritual ears and with their spiritual eyes. Perhaps you know, in the writing of the Apostle Paul, he says, I pray that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened. And that is a suggestion of eyes that are invisible to us, but they're just as real. In fact, they're more significant than the physical eyes which we have, for we could be blind physically and still see spiritually. And we could have the same insight that God gave to this first group of disciples. Because under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, after Christ had been raised from the dead, And in answer to the prayer of Jesus, God the Father sent the Holy Spirit to not simply be with them, but to live in them and to explain to them the things which He had said so that we could have record of that. And the Holy Spirit could use these words of Jesus, even these words, to teach us, to give us the same access 
to the truth about what it means to abide in the Word of Jesus Christ. They were at no advantage over you and me, provided we are the proper kind of hearer. Let's go ahead now and read the interpretation which Jesus gives in verses 18 through 23. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The seed is the word of God. And I'm sure you noticed as we looked at the interpretation that Jesus gives to this most important of all the parables, how often He uses the term word, how critically important it is for us in this life. Remembering what I mentioned to begin with, that there's no more important occupation that you may find yourself in than listening to the Word of Jesus and consequently abiding in His Word. The picture is rather quaint that Jesus draws. It was drawn out of everyday life where people who were farmers, not big-time farmers, small type of farmers, would take a bag which was fashioned out of something like burlap and sew it together in such a way that the sower could put it over his shoulder and then have the sack which was attached to the straps, filled with seed, and then would begin to go to the field which he owned and would begin to distribute the seed. And at some point, maybe he distributed it with a little too much force and it fell along a pathway. Jesus suggests that that pathway was not ground in which seed could grow, but it was really rocky ground. It was hard. It would be similar to caliche here in El Paso, very hard, impenetrable as far as a seed was concerned. And so Jesus gives us insight to the first kind of hearer when it comes to the Word of Christ, the Word of God. Look at verse 19 again. When anyone hears the Word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Why doesn't the soil, if you would call it that, the place that the seed comes, why is it not received and take, why does it not take root in the heart of that kind of hearer? Well, it's because it does not find receptive soil. And the suggestion here is obvious. 
that kind of person who is represented by this type of so-called soil is a person who does not understand what he or she is hearing. In a crowd this large, there will be more than one person who does not really understand what is being taught today. Or maybe, maybe everybody here will understand it, but there has been a season in your life, maybe you're coming out of such a season where you just couldn't understand the truth that's represented in the teachings of Jesus. Therefore, you cannot abide in the Word of Jesus and you are not free. And then the devil comes along, the evil one comes, represented by the birds in the parable, and snatches away the seed before it can take root in the heart of that individual. Now, what is the reason for the disinterested hearer in addition to the devil's activity? Well, the main idea here is the hardness of heart. Do you know that in the book of Ezekiel, when God was describing the new covenant, he talks about how when he comes in the person of the Messiah, he is going to remove a certain sort of heart from those who hear the gospel. Do you remember what he describes that heart as being like? It's a heart of stone. In other words, it's dead. And some people's hearts of stone, they're dead spiritually. And consequently, they cannot understand this teaching. Their eyes are blind. They are dead in their trespasses and sin. And their ears are deaf. They're incapable of understanding. Have you ever known someone, maybe someone near to you, someone whom you love, someone whom you were eager to share the gospel with and even got the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus with? A person who quite probably was at least average in intelligence, perhaps even way above average in intelligence, and you shared the gospel, but there was no sign of any interest in that message which you gave. And you gave it well. Or maybe you took someone to hear a great gospel preacher, an evangelist, and the gospel preacher preached clearly the gospel message, that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and was raised again on the third day. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. But the person just didn't quite get it. There was no evidence of any interest, no sense of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. Have you ever had that happen to you? And did it leave you disappointed and wondering why did she not receive the message? Well, the answer is to be found in this kind of soil. There are people whose ears are plugged and their eyes are blinded. The God of this age, the Bible says, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to select parts of that passage having to do with the subject of wisdom, God's wisdom, not to be confused with worldly wisdom, but God's wisdom, and how people... Some, at least, do receive the wisdom and understand, and others don't. Now, we did not read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, among other things that Christ Jesus has become to us who know Him and know God consequently, is 
Christ Jesus has become to us wisdom. And that's not all it says. He has become the wisdom of God to us. So keep that in mind when we read, beginning at verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, statements related to the wisdom of God. Paul writes in verse 6, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. The implication is, speaking to people who aren't mature, people who are disinterested perhaps, those people are not capable of understanding this wisdom. Verse 8, the first line says, The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood. The people who are in power had not understood this message by and large. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If Pilate had known that Jesus was the Lord of glory, not just some upstart among many upstarts who had claimed to be the king of the Jews, if Pilate had really known, but he was a disinterested hearer, his heart was hardened, he could not understand, his eyes were blinded, his ears were plugged. The God of this age, Satan, had blinded him. Verse 10, For to us God revealed them, that's referring to wisdom, through the Spirit. We're beginning to understand why, if we do understand the Gospel, if we do understand the Word of God, if we are abiding in Him, continuing in Christ's Word, we begin to understand now why it's through the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus said the night before He left to be with His Father in heaven. He talked to His apostles. And He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm asking. And this Spirit the world cannot receive because it does not behold Him and it does not know Him. But you know Him. Because He abides with you, and He will be in you. When Jesus ascended to heaven, and days passed, Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came, and He came and He indwelled those believers in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 8 9, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not have Christ. If you have Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives understanding. Understanding the Gospel of Jesus Christ, understanding the Bible, has very little to do with intelligence. IQ is not the issue. The issue is, is there life in you? Has the Spirit of God revealed it to you? There is probably someone here today that even as I have begun to teach from this passage of Scripture, it seems to you that you are being spoken to in a way, not because a human voice is speaking, but in your heart there's this sense that God is speaking to you today. If that is your situation, be sure it's the Holy Spirit who is teaching you. He's speaking to you. Listen carefully to what He says. As Jesus says in the book of Revelation, Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to you today. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 2, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us 
by God. We've received the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 14. But a natural man, this is a way of describing disinterested people, disinterested hearers. People are who are clueless, actually. They're in the dark spiritually. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. What are the things of the Spirit of God? What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, we've already seen. He teaches us. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything which I said to you. And then later He says, in that same chapter in John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, that the Father will send by my request... He will witness to me. He will bear witness to me. And then in the 16th chapter, he talks about the same Spirit, the Helper. When the Helper comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. No human being can convince any other human being of sin and righteousness and judgment. That is the work of the Holy Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of truth. In God's Word is truth. That means the Holy Spirit is the author of our Scripture. And He not only inspired the Scripture, but He illuminates the Scripture. He convicts us. The Holy Spirit's work is absolutely necessary for you and me to abide in the Word of Jesus. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. He's not a spiritual person. She's not a spiritual person. Verse 15 says, But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What a statement. Is that just so much philosophizing? Or is it true? We have, those of us who have been more than disinterested hearers, we have the mind of Christ. And it's contained in the Word of God. We have way more knowledge available in Christ that we can understand by the Holy Spirit contained in Matthew Mark, Luke, John, and the other parts of the New Testament, then we will ever exhaust in a lifetime. If we had ten lifetimes or a hundred lifetimes, this is an inexhaustible treasure trove God has given us, the Word of God. And it's explained to us, applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God. The story is told about William Wilberforce. His name may ring a bell. He was a great parliamentarian in the 18th century in Great Britain, 18th and 19th centuries. He was a parliamentarian, as I mentioned. In his early 20s, he was elected to office. And he was not a believer in Christ. He had heard about Jesus, but he had never given his life to Jesus. His running mate was another William, William Pitt. William Pitt's father had been an outstanding prime minister of Great Britain, and younger Pitt was on the way to becoming prime minister himself. In fact, before the age of 30, he became the prime minister and was an excellent servant in that capacity for Great Britain. But he did not know the Lord either. And when 
Wilberforce began to witness to him as is apt to happen when you have your eyes open and you see who Jesus is and you respond properly to Jesus, then you cannot keep that to yourself. The Spirit of God in you moves you to share Christ with others. And Wilberforce did that with his friend. But there was no movement in the heart of William Pitt toward Christ. There came an opportunity for Wilberforce to invite his close friend William Pitt to come with him to hear a gospel presentation by one of the finer Christian evangelists in the British Empire. In London, it was the perfect environment for Pitt because there were only going to be about 40 or 50 people in a private gathering with this preacher of the gospel and only people who were the elite of Great Britain were going to be there. Now, you don't have to be elite to know Christ. Very few of us would qualify as elite and most of us here know Jesus, praise the Lord, right? But I, so don't mishear what I'm saying. But he knew that Pitt was a little stuck up, so he'd be happy with other stuck up people. So <laughs> he found this is a great opportunity. And he said, as he recorded what he experienced, Wilberforce said, I knew that I had been led by the Spirit. And the door had been opened. Because it was so clear, so obvious that what was being taught and spoken by this great evangelist was the truth and nothing but the truth. Jesus was so clearly presented and the gospel was presented. He said, I could hardly wait. When we left and got in the carriage in which we had come together to that place of the hearing of the gospel, I could hardly wait And I leaned over and I said to my friend, William, what did you think of the message? And then Pitt took a moment and then he thought and very honestly responded, William, I didn't understand anything the man said. Why not? That's not what Wilberforce said. But I'm asking you, why wouldn't a brilliant man like him, not understand. It's because his heart was still hard. His eyes spiritually were still blind. And his ears were still plugged. He did not know because the Spirit of God had not really begun to work on him. We don't know what happened in Pitt's life. There's no evidence that he became a strong follower of Christ. But we do know that God was speaking that night, but it didn't get through to him. The first kind of hearer is the disinterested hearer. Here's the second kind of hearer represented in this parable. And I would describe such a person as the disillusioned hearer. First there's the distracted or the disinterested hearer, then the disillusioned hearer. Look at verses 20 and 21. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. We see several reasons that this person is not a person who abides in the word of Jesus. The first hint is 
that he immediately receives the word with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself. Do you know big conversions? Conversions of people who are really significant people as the world counts significance. They get a lot of press, don't they? And sometimes those people are so exuberant in their so-called reception of Christ, but before long you don't hear anything more about them in terms of their faith. And it doesn't have to be people of significance from the world's point of view. It can be other people too. People who hear the message and immediately they receive it with joy, but there's no root. Do you know where we're to be rooted according to Colossians 2, 6, and 7? And this is where you are rooted if you are indeed someone who has been the right kind of hearer. You're rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. He is your Lord. And you are rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And consequently, you have stability and you have staying power, unlike the person in question, because this person is described as being only temporary. And when hard times come, affliction or persecution because of the Word of Jesus, immediately he falls away. Immediately this person embraces the Gospel with joy. You think, wow, look at all those tears. Look at all that emotion. That person's emotions were obviously converted, but that person's will remained his or her own. And in order for someone to really abide in Jesus, it deals with your will. Have you given Jesus control of your life? Or have you simply paid lip service? Have you gotten excited at some point and made some sort of commitment, but when trouble came in the form of some kind of affliction or difficulty, persecution, you just walked away from the Lord? The Bible says, in the book of James 1, it says, Blessed is a man who endures under trial, for he will be found approved and receive the crown of life. This man in question, or this woman in question, the disillusioned hearer, was misled perhaps like a preacher like me, giving a message like this. And in my desire to see someone make a commitment. And there's not anything wrong. In fact, it would be wrong not to call people to commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's say the presenter did not give the whole gospel, did not say not only are you to believe in Jesus, but you are to repent of your sin and turn away from controlling your own life and put Christ in His rightful place as your Lord. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. That is the call of Christ. And there's no promise that everything is going to go smoothly. Some of you in this room today, maybe one of you in this room, has turned away from the Lord because you believe He's let you down. Because you've had some trouble in your life. Well, think again. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. If you have embraced Him, not simply as your Savior, but as your Lord, then He will never leave you 
He will be with you through thick and thin. The Father will be conforming you to His image. And Jesus learned obedience through what He suffered. Jesus actually promised His apostles, and by way of promising them, promised us that in this world you will have trouble. But do not fear. I'm going to be with you. Troubles come and troubles go. The person who perseveres under trial is a person who is the right kind of hearer. The right kind of soil. Two types of soil that do not receive the Word of God. The first is the disinterested hearer and secondly, the distracted hearer represented by this soil that is shallow. And in that part of the world, you know, it's hot like here. Very hot. But if you get moisture to soil in a very sunny, hot place, seeds come up in the form of fruit quickly, don't they? But that same soil in what we call today the Holy Land, there is a shelf of limestone in many places. And limestone is just a few inches below the surface, below the topsoil. No matter how rich or how moist that soil is, if the sun beats down and the limestone gets the heat, then what happens is that plant is scorched. Sometimes in the course of 24 hours, a seed, if the conditions are correct in that region, can burst through the ground. But no longer than 24 hours elapsed when it's burned up by the intense heat generated in large part, of course, by the sun, but by the limestone that captures that heat and it heats up. That's the way it is for many people who immediately receive the Word with joy and then just as quickly as they receive it, they dismiss it when trouble comes in their lives. Here's the third kind of hearer a distracted hearer. I believe now we're being introduced to the first hearer who really knows the Lord, but does not make a practice of abiding in the Word of the Lord. And we see why that person does not abide in the Lord. Look at verse 22. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the Word... And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So this person is neither disinterested nor disillusioned, but divided. This person has a divided mind. Why do I say that? Because the word which is translated worry, this man hears the word, but the worry of the world chokes the word. The word worry literally means a divided mind. Mind is what it means. Jesus uses this word in the sixth chapter of Matthew when he says, do not be anxious for tomorrow. The word do not be anxious is this word worry in its verb form. Do not be anxious for tomorrow for each day has enough trouble of its own. Just trust me is what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and trust me. And I'll get you through today and you won't just sort of make it through the day. You'll prosper You'll thrive in the face of troubles that you might face, worries. There's not a person in this room, and I'm going on a limb here, 
that I think I'm right. I don't think there's a person in this room who is not familiar with worry from time to time. Even since we've been here in this room worshiping the Lord for almost an hour and 15 minutes, many of you have had things that are bothering you come across your mind. It's part of this life, isn't it? The devil specializes in stirring up our worrier, if there's such a word. And we are divided in our minds. This person in question, the distracted hearer, hears the word, but then worries come and choke it out. Like thorn bushes. Thorn bushes would come up where seeds had been planted. In fact, the thorn bushes would have been in existence prior to the planting of the seed. And so the seed comes up and the seed has had proper moisture and proper nourishment, but is lacking sunshine. And what happens is it's choked out by these weeds, these noxious weeds. Here's the other thing that is true of the division in this person's life. Divided not only by worrisome thoughts, but also by deceitful thoughts about riches. Notice the deceitfulness of riches choked the word. The word deceitfulness could also be translated delight. The delight of riches. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. For either you will love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. It's impossible for us to be divided. The great prophet Elijah, facing off the prophets of Baal, he was outnumbered badly, but the Lord was with him. His life illustrates what Paul writes in Romans 8, where he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And this man of God, Elijah, by the power of the Spirit, faced off and won a great victory. But prior to that, he's speaking to the Israelites who had gathered around, just curiosity seekers, maybe some seekers of God, gathered around, and this is what he said to him. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal is God, the false god of the Canaanites, follow Him. In other words... Get off the fence. We cannot straddle the fence. We can't have one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom of God, and expect God to set us free. What does Jesus say? What is the key to being set free? If you abide, that would be settled down in, if you live in, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and the truth will set you free. The Word of God is truth, is what Jesus says later in the Gospel of John 17. So the Word of God, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God, the truth. He is the Spirit of truth, remember, the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of life. He sets us free. He gives us life. He's the only one who can do that kind of work in our lives. And so we need to understand we cannot be divided. We have to have a heart to be devoted to the Lord. Let's look at the last kind of hearer. This is the desired position to find oneself in. I many times have gone over this parable with new believers, and not one time when I've gone over this parable with new believers, I ask them, now which soil would you like to become? Every time they land on this kind of soil, every time, and I've done it hundreds of times, in the last 40 years. 
Verse 23 says, And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So this person receives the word. This person is not necessarily a rah-rah kind of person. There's no evidence of great joy, although internally you can be sure when you receive the Word as Jesus gives it in this case, it's going to bring joy. It's going to bring peace, patience, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things are going to be yours. This person bears fruit and he brings forth different measures that would lead one to conclude that some people are in a higher level of acceptance to the Lord by the numbers of fruits that person brings forth. I don't think that's the case. The Lord is the one who gives us opportunity to represent Him. And that would include sharing the gospel. It would include doing many other things that the Lord gives us to do. But the Lord's the one who sets the stage for opportunity. It's not for us to figure out the opportunity. It's for us to follow Christ. As we follow Christ, then He's going to open doors for ministry. And we're going to be alerted to that opportunity. We're going to be doing like He's doing. What are we going to be doing? We're going to sow seed. We're going to sow seed. The seed... The seed is the powerful piece. It's the Word of God. The seed is what takes root in people's hearts and changes them irrevocably when it finally takes root in good soil. And the Lord would have us to understand this, that it's perseverance that matters. If we were to go to Luke chapter 8 and look at Jesus description as Luke reported it, we would note that he speaks about the person who is the good soil brings fruit to maturity in contrast to the person who lets the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out that truth and remains a baby Christian. Do you know in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if we took time to look there, where Jesus talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone who knows Jesus Christ is going to be standing at the end of your life before Jesus. And there's going to be an evaluation of your life. You don't have to worry about being exed out of the kingdom. That's impossible. Because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable is what Romans tells us. There are many other places we could go. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you're not going to lose your salvation. It's going to be a time of evaluation for purpose of receiving reward. And the question would be, how can I be ready for that? That's going to be unnerving to stand before the Lord. Well, it probably is going to be. And not just for people who are novices, beginners. Maybe not just for people who have been like the seeds sown in the thorny soil and have neglected opportunity, there's no day like today for any of us to be committed to the Lord, no matter where we find ourselves in this description of the different kind of soils. But we stand before the Lord, and the Scripture says He's going to evaluate us based on the quality of our work, not the quantity. You follow? 
the quality. What constitutes quality life? Well, it's told us by Jesus in John chapter 8. He says, if you continue in me, in my word, what will happen? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You're truly disciples of mine. We want to abide in Him. We want to trust in Him. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in Him bears much fruit. And what does much fruit bearing do to the Lord? By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the Lord's work. In us, every man and woman in this room, every boy and girl in this room can be good soil if you are receptive to the truth of who Jesus is and you receive Him into your life and you seek Him and you follow Him. Not that you're going to be perfect, but the Holy Spirit who will indwell you is perfect and He will continue to work you and move you along the pathway to maturity until He's ready to relieve you of duty in this world and take you to be with Him. This is so encouraging. And it's so powerful. If we were to capture this and begin to practice this, it would not simply change our lives. It would change our world. Your home would be changed. My home would be changed. Our church would be changed. Your workplace, our community, our city would be changed if we were to do this. Well, let me give you a little more practical suggestion. And I've asked that some verses be placed on the screen. And this is just my way of doing things. No big deal if you don't like it. It's no, you don't have to tell me if you don't like it, but I'm not going to ask you, okay? Let's look at Ecclesiastes 5. These are some verses I start with in my daily time with the Lord before I open the Word of God to abide in His Word, to hear from Him for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so I might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Look at this. Let's read this aloud together. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. So what would constitute evil? If I come to a place like this with any other intention except to hear from the Lord, I'm doing evil. That's what it says. That's strong, isn't it? Probably never thought of that. Frankly, I don't ever think of it in that way, but it's true. And we're playing the fool. Let's read number two. Verse two. Do not be hasty, help me, in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So what is my role when I come before the Lord? I'm to listen. Now, it's pretty obvious I like to talk. It's harder for some people to listen than others. But the maturing person is maturing because she or he is listening. Let's look at the next verse. This is Psalm 100, verse 4, carrying forward the theme of going to the house of God, which would have been the temple in Solomon's day. He wrote those words. 
Read it with me. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, bless His name. Why do we sing? For fun? Well, if we sing for fun, that's not necessarily sinful, but if that's the only reason we sing, it's a zero. No value whatsoever. We come with thanksgiving and praise to the Lord because He is pleased when His people praise Him. He's enthroned on the praises of His people. So, I do that a little bit too. So, I know many of you can't sing. You're kind of like me. But who cares? You're not singing to other people. You sing to the Lord. Just don't disturb the other people in the house if they're asleep. Okay? Here's the third thing. Let's read this together. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I need this reminder. Thank you. I need the reminder every day. I need the reminder that I don't have it in me to get what the Lord would have me to receive from His Word apart from His enlightening the eyes of my heart. So it's a great prayer to pray to the Lord. Okay, the last one. Teach me to do Your will, for You are my God. Let Your good Spirit lead me on level ground. Notice David does not say, teach me to know Your will. He knew the will of God, just like many of us do. Our problem is not knowing many times, it's doing. Mark Twain, who was one of those disinterested hearers, said, it's not what I understand in the don't understand in the Bible that disturbs me, it's what I do understand and don't apply. So we're to ask the Lord, teach me to do Your will, for You are my God. Let Your good Spirit lead me on the level ground. See the Holy Spirit showing up, how important He is to understanding, critically important, and to doing, critically important, essentially important. This is how we abide in Jesus and in His Word. This is how we're set free. Some of you are enslaved. I don't know what your enslaver is. It could be some sort of sexual sin. It could be addicted to some substance, alcohol, or drugs. I don't know what it is. could be gossip. could be a lot of things. Things that are acceptable sins among Christians. You know what I'm saying? But the way to get free, it's clear, isn't it? We abide in the Word of the Lord. And that includes knowing it and doing it. It's not enough simply to know it. The scribe Ezra devoted himself to study the Word of God and then to do it. And then he was ready to teach it. Good recipe for all of us. You're familiar with Revelation 3.20. Many of you could quote it. Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him. I will come in to her and dine with her and they with me. That's written to believers, supposedly, to a church that was lukewarm. That's Jesus. So how do we hear His voice? Do we hear it audibly? Well, on occasion, that might happen. But normally, we hear it when we're quiet before Him. We're not blabbing off, telling Him all the things we need. We're just there to bask in His presence 
And if he so chooses, he can speak to us. And we open the Word of God and we're expecting him to speak to us, to teach us what we're to do. One last illustration. This also from the life of Elijah. Elijah had won a great victory over the prophets of Baal. You remember that. And no sooner had he done that than he got a letter from the queen of Israel, Jezebel, and she said, you're mine, prophet. I'm going to do you in. And it scared him to death. This great, courageous man, he just turned tail and he ran and he found himself in a cave and he's sensing God saying, I want to speak to you. So he goes to the mouth of the cave and listen carefully in 1 Kings 19.12. His own report was this. There was a great wind and the wind was so strong it broke rocks apart. I, that's, I never heard of a wind that could break rocks apart. That's a huge wind. But he said, but the voice of the Lord was not in the wind. Then there was a great earthquake. And he said, but the voice of the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then finally there was this ferocious fire, but the voice of the Lord was not in the fire. And then he reported, he spoke to me in a small, still voice. And the word translated small, still means a thin. It's like a whisper he spoke. So the Lord doesn't yell at us usually. Sometimes he does. He has to to get our attention. But normally, he's speaking, and we have to listen. We have to have an ear to hear so we can hear and we can do as we abide and continue in his word. Let's pray. If you're here this morning, I hope you've pinpointed which one of these kinds of hearers you are. A disinterested hearer because you don't understand a disillusioned hearer because you were misled into thinking that if you just gave your life to Christ, everything's going to be smooth sailing. Or a distracted hearer. You're divided between the world and the kingdom of God. All the worries and all the deceitfulness of riches have done you in. Or are you a good soil person? who perseveres. I pray, Lord, that every person here, and if you're in one of those categories and you want to be good soil, just say, Lord, I want to be good soil. Could you just say that in your heart? Lord, I want to be good soil. I don't know if I can do it, Lord, but I want to. He's looking for willing hearts who are willing to turn your will over to His. To say yes to Him by saying no to yourself. Do that, and you will begin the journey of abiding in His Word, and you will be set free. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.